Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. I don't know how it was for you, but at my, my parents' house on Christmas Eve, um, everybody came over. We had a big meal. We ate way too much. Anybody ever eat too much around Christmas time besides me? I ate way too much. We would exchange gifts, uh, and all of that was really cool, but I really struggled on Christmas Eve night because on Christmas morning as a kid growing up, you guys know the drill, um, the big gifts show up, right? And you're excited. You would ask for certain things, and you were believing they would be there, and a lot of times I had trouble falling asleep. It was anybody else like that growing up. I had a hard time going to sleep on Christmas Eve evening on that night. And part of the reason was is that I thought that maybe I would sleep through Christmas. And even though that was not possible, my, my parents probably just wished I would sleep past 6 a.m. Um, but I, I thought that m- I might miss it. And it brings me to a question, uh, how could anybody miss Christmas. I mean, let's think about it. It is the most commercialized um, holiday in the world. Um, the entire month, we, we are face-to-face with Christmas decorations and Christmas lights and Christmas cards, Christmas carols, shopping, pictures, all of that stuff. Um, you would think it's nearly impossible to miss Christmas. But I think we need to ask, is it, is it possible that we miss what Christmas is all about? I believe that the message of Christmas is a life-changing message, but a lot of people do not experience life change in this season. Um, the account of, of our Savior um, coming to us in our brokenness and in Uh, the fact that we were lost, that he made a way to get to us. And the question becomes, can someone miss the peace and the hope that Christmas should bring? And I think the answer to that is absolutely. I think it's possible for us to miss the peace and the hope that is supposed to come at Christmas time. And I think the best example comes from Luke chapter number 2, verses 4 through 7. And uh, I, before I read this, I just want you to hit your neighbor real quick. I want to make sure everybody's in the, in the room with me. Can you tell them, make some room? That's what I'm talking to you about. I want to talk to you about making room, making room. Um, and so Luke 2, starting in verse 4, it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room, everybody say no room, there was no room for them in the end. Say it one more time. Say, no room. Mary and Joseph 
lived in a city called Nazareth, but in the last week of their pregnancy, they, they have to go to his tiny town of, of Bethlehem, where they're going to register for the Roman government's census. And as they arrive, Mary goes into labor. That's one of those uh-oh moments, right? She goes into labor, and Joseph tries to check them in to the local Hampton Inn. And, and as he's trying to check them into the hotel, the innkeeper says, sorry, no vacancies. There's no room in the inn. Now, how could the innkeeper refuse a woman in labor? Uh, even more profound, how could the innkeeper refuse Jesus? Imagine, if you will, the opportunity that this innkeeper missed. He could have hosted the birth of the Savior, yet he misses the most significant part of Christmas. Now, as I've studied this out, there are three theories as to why there was no room in the inn. And before I share these theories um, about there being no room in the inn, I, I want to say this. I don't want us to look down upon the innkeeper. Um, because I know how we all are. We come to church, we're here on Christmas Eve, and we're thinking, hey, we would have taken Mary in, and I would have, you know, the guys would have said, I would have been the Lamas coach. I, I, I would have totally welcomed them in to our hotel. I would have made room for Jesus. But I think that the innkeeper's con condition and what happened is not that different from our experience. As a matter of fact, the physical space that Jesus desired to have then is simply a picture of the spiritual space that Jesus wants to occupy now. And Revelation chapter 3 tells us, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. With all the hustle and bustle that goes on in this season, first off, I just want to congratulate you that on a Christmas Eve, with everything you got going on, that you made time to come to the house of God today. I think that's a big, big deal. Give yourselves a big hand because you are making room, you're making room for Jesus in this season. Now, the three, the three theories surrounding why there was no room, theory number one, and I'm going to do this kind of quick uh, because I'm not going to keep you all day, but theory number one is busyness. Everybody say busyness. Bethlehem was a very small village. The total population would have only been a couple hundred people, but due to the census, thousands of people came to this small town. And so one of the theories is that the innkeeper was simply overran with business. It, it was the busy season, and he was trying to make sure that all these people that had came, come to this town, that they were taken care of, that he had the supplies that he needed. Um, and, and this was the booming season, if you will. He was simply too busy to make room for Jesus. And, and the question today is, are you too busy to make room for Jesus in the Christmas season? And it's a question that I've had to ask myself because during this season, we have all kinds of traditions. 
Uh, you know, you've got, you got Christmas parties, you've got gingerbread houses to make, you've got lights to go see. How many of you are like me and you enjoy all of it? Come on, if you're just like you enjoy the Christmas season. All month long I've been saying, uh, PK preached a message on first Wednesday and she talked about this month, just keep coming back to the light. And when I get stressed out and overwhelmed, I have said about a hundred times, I'm coming back to the light, baby. I'm coming back to the light. Because in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, and all the things that preoccupy us, a lot of times we forget that the reason for the season is that Jesus came to us. That the whole reason we celebrate this is that God became flesh. And I think this guy is a lot like, the innkeeper is a lot like you and I, because he was saying, you know, I am busy. It'll, it'll get better in another season. I'll make time in another season. And my question, again, is when does your busy season pass? Because I've been talking to some people for years, and every time I talk to them, well, this season will pass. I'm into my busy season. You've been in your busy season for 14 years. So, so when, if I were to talk to you and look at your schedule and look at your plans and look at your budget, I think most of those things would show that you are not on course to ever slow down. And so the question becomes is, do we have room for Jesus? So many people will say things like this. I know you've heard it. Maybe you've said it. They'll say things like, I don't have room for another thing. And there it is. Truth has come out of their mouth. They don't have room for another thing, including Jesus. I don't have room for anything else in my life. And my, my concern is that busyness will creep into your theology. We become so accustomed for, uh, of doing for them that we start to believe that we have to do for him. People go to all these lengths to find God, not understanding that you couldn't find him. So he came in the form of a flesh. He took flesh upon himself. How many are thankful today that when we couldn't find him, he knew how to find us? That's the gospel. That's Christmas. That, that's what the season is all about. Salvation is not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. So that's the first theory is busyness. The second theory is bondage. Everybody say bondage. Now, th this is a little bit different, but one of the theories surrounding this is that the reason the innkeeper did not have room is because the Roman soldiers came to execute the census, and, and so you had all these able-bodied soldiers taking up all the hotel rooms, okay? There was no room at the Hampton Inn because you had soldiers there. And, and you got to picture this. The Roman soldiers would have been a reminder to Joseph of the bondage of, of his people, of what they had lived in, of what they had endured. One of the definitions of bondage is involuntary slavery. That's a definition, involuntary slavery. Um, we like to think of ourselves as free, um, but a lot of us, we are involuntary slaves to something. Maybe a habit, a substance, a relationship. It might be a career for you. 
It takes on a lot of different forms, and you may even say, Pastor Chad, no, not me. I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm not a slave to anything. There's nothing that I'm in bondage to, but I think there's a small exercise that we could go through to find out if we have bondage in our life. Um, here's a couple of things, and you can just think about this for yourself, um, but you think about it, whatever it is, you think about it when you first wake up. You schedule your life around it. Other people have shared concerns with you about it. You regular, regularly make excuses for it. You have gone to great lengths to keep it a secret. If, if you would say yes to any of those things, maybe a few of those things, then you could be in some sort of bondage. Um, if there's a relationship or a habit that meets that criteria, it may need, we may need change in that area. Um, and here's the way I, I want to present this. The reason this matters is because if it is in control of your life, God isn't. I know it's Christmas Eve, but I feel a little bit of a preach today. I, I thought I was just going to teach a little bit, but I, I feel a little bit of a preach because if it's in control of your life, it means God isn't. If, it, if it's priority, it means God is not. And I wonder how many things that, that we have tried to fill our hearts with that only God can satisfy. For some of us, it's pleasure and passion, possessions and position, if you will. Some of us, it's about uh, status and sex and substances and, and, and all of those things. We, we go after them to fill our hearts. And, and the truth is, we all have a God uh, space that only he can feel in our lives. And no matter how hard we try to fill it with all these other things, at the end of the day, we need to put God as the king of our heart, right? We need to make him the priority of our lives. So you got, you got busyness, you got bondage, and the third theory is bitterness. Bitterness. This is, this is, scholars believe it's one of the three as to why the innkeeper had no rooms. Joseph and Mary's journey would have been a trek of about 75 miles um, over mountainous terrains. It would have taken them eight to ten days to make the journey. And all the while, Mary is near full-term pregnant, all right? So we, we, we got a lot going on in the story. And a lot of the scholars believe that maybe they arrived and a family member, family members had rejected them. Can anyone say bitterness table for two? Because that, that could be what we have going on. It reminds me of, of the guy who... He forgot to buy his wife a Christmas gift, and she was livid. She was really, really upset and, and you know, really upset with him and said, um, if by tomorrow you don't have something in the driveway that goes from zero to 200, you're in big, big trouble. And the next day she gets home, and uh, she sees a little package on the front porch. Oh, no. She opens up the package, and it was a bathroom scale. It goes from zero to 200. <laughs> hey, they're still looking for that guy, by the way. He's missing, totally missing. 
<laughs> buried in the backyard somewhere. Now, the point being is that we all have family issues, marriage issues, friend issues that are inevitable. Uh, at some point, we've all been hurt. But the question becomes, what have you done with the hurt? Are you stuffing it? Are you stewing on it? Are you spewing it out everywhere you go? Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 15, very, very interesting verse. It says, look after each other so that not one of you will fail to find God's best blessings. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. I want you to, to notice how the author points out here that bitterness is a root, meaning a couple of things. Number one, bitterness is often hidden. A lot of people will say things. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm over that? But their body language says, you ain't over nothing. Like, if you're over that, tell your face, right? Like, I'm over that. And, and, and so um, they say one thing, but th their body language is saying something else. Your bitterness may even be hidden from you. And one of the ways that you know that you've gotten over something and you're no longer bitter is simple. Are you praying for that other individual who made you bitter? I, it's not fun sometimes. Sometimes I, I would much rather like, pow. But I can't pastor and do that. And I can't even be a Christian and do that, right? I would much rather just punch them in the throat. But, but if I can't, y'all feel me, don't you? But, but you, sometimes you got to kneel down and you got you to gotta take on the posture of prayer. And listen, it's, it's cool. There's no way you can stay mad at people you're praying for. If you're really seeking God for them, I promise eventually your heart's going to change. It doesn't mean they're going to change. They may always be. I, I won't use that word. They, <laughs> Merry Christmas, right? So it, sometimes it's hidden. The second thing about bitterness is that it takes the space, and a lot of people miss this, it takes the space reserved for God's blessings. This is the part we don't, like a lot of people fly off the handle, say things that, you know, they shouldn't say because they're bitter, but they don't realize that sometimes your lack of peace, your lack of joy, your lack of contentment is because when God tries to pour those blessings out into your life, your bitterness has taken up all the room. There's no room for God to pour it out. As long as you are filled with bitterness, there will be no room for blessings. And so it's important to let it go. How miserable do you want to be? Some people will say, what do you mean? I, I, I don't want to feel this way. Then don't. Make a decision. Forgive. Let it go. Don't go into 2022 carrying the same baggage you carried in 2021. Don't, don't carry old baggage into a new year. This is going to be strong, but we're almost done. You will never have peace until you make peace. Peace eludes a lot of people, and it's because there are, I've learned there's two types of people in the world. There are peacemakers, and there are drama makers. 
and only one of them is biblical. Some people walk into a room and drama goes through the roof. Other people walk into a room and peace fills the room. Jesus said we are peacemakers. Peacemakers. Um, blessed, uh, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And I know you're saying, Pastor, you don't know what they did. And I'm not saying you should ever act like it didn't happen. It did. And I'm not saying that you should, you know, not act like it didn't hurt. It did hurt. I'm saying that you cannot have peace until you make peace. And having peace is worth more than being right. Whoop, whoop. Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoyed your cookies and your milk. I really do hope you did. Two steps to ensure that there's room in our heart for Jesus. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and get in place. How many of you would say this morning you're getting something from this message? How many are you getting something from it? We want to make room for Jesus. So the first step this morning, so weird, this afternoon, right? What a habit. We have to invite Jesus. We have to invite Jesus. When we light candles in a few minutes, I, I, want, I want you to light it like you're inviting Jesus into your life. Inviting Jesus into the marriage. Inviting Jesus into that problem. But so many times we, we go without inviting Jesus. And Jesus don't just go where he's not welcomed and invited. We have to invite Jesus in. One of the things that, that Karen and I do, and she's well, a lot better at it than I am, but one of the things that we do before we host guests, whether it's you on a Sunday or a Friday afternoon or somebody coming to our house, is that we will make sure that the house is clean. How many do that? Like, you make sure the house is clean. Like, we're going to pick a, as a matter of fact, I know not to invite people over unannounced to Pastor Karen. Right? That, that's called foolishness, Chad. Like, why would you bring people over without telling me? Because you know that we've got to prepare, and I totally agree. You've got to prepare to host someone. And here's the thing. That is good hospitality, but it's poor theology. I'm making a point. Some of you, the reason you don't invite Jesus is because you're treating your life like you treat your house. I'm going to clean everything up. And then I'll invite some guests over. You should do that for your house. But for your heart, that's terrible theology. I don't clean up my heart and then invite Jesus in. All I do is invite Jesus in and he starts cleaning up my heart. That, that's, that's what it's about. I... I don't clean it up and prepare it and then say, now you can move in. No, he moves in and then he cleans. Man, isn't that cool? He comes in and he cleans house. He starts removing bitterness. He starts removing addictions. Man, I sense the Holy Spirit. He starts ministering to those places in our heart that have been hurt and broken. He starts cleaning out the house of all the things that we don't need. And he start, he's the best kind of guest. What guest comes to your house and cleans the house for you? Jesus does. 
So we want to invite Jesus, but secondly, we got to learn how to host Jesus. Maybe the saddest observation from the story is that the innkeeper, he gave them some kind of room. We know it was a manger, a barn. Ended up giving them something, but it was not a room fit for a king. Many of us, in a similar fashion, we have some space for Jesus, just not the space that is most fitting for Jesus. There's a story of a man who invited Jesus into his home, into the home of his heart. And at first, Christ helped him clean out some things in his life. And finally, he called the man to a room of that man's house. And there was a fireplace there. And Jesus spoke to the man and said, I think we should meet here every single morning and spend time together. So every morning, the man would get up and he was eagerly, awaiting that, you know, that meeting, that time with Jesus. And they read God's word together and they, he shared his hearts with Jesus and his heart with Jesus. And they became really, really close. Eventually though, over time, his responsibilities grew and their times became shorter and shorter to the point that the man started missing those mornings with Jesus. One day on his way out of the house, he noticed the door to their meeting room was cracked. And he peeked in and he saw Jesus still sitting by the fireplace. He didn't realize that Jesus had been there every single morning, even the ones the guy did not show up. And Jesus spoke to the guy and he said, the trouble with you is this. You have been thinking of our quiet time of reading and prayer as a factor in your own spiritual progress, but you have forgotten that this time means something to me also. And I think so many times the way we treat church or prayer or getting in the word or making room for Jesus, we only look at it as our spiritual growth and how are we getting closer to Jesus? But God wanted me to tell some people today that that time with him it, it not only means something to you, it means something to him. It's important to him. Jesus wants that time with you. So today as we prepare to light some candles and take this dark room and make it a beautiful, beautiful room, I, I think we need to do it with an expectation that we are inviting Jesus and we are hosting Jesus that we are going to make room for him, not just in this Christmas season. But I want you to light candles today thinking about how are you going to make room for Jesus as you leave 2021 and you step into 2022. I don't know how you feel, but I want to go into 2022 making more room for Jesus, not less room for Jesus. I want to make more room. I want you to stand with me all over the room today. I'm going to do something before we get to the candle lighting portion of this, just because I have no idea. I, honestly, when we scheduled this service, I didn't know if there would be 50 people or a packed building, and I am very thankful there's a packed building in the house today. Totally packed. 
truly, truly honored you're here. But at the same time, feel like I would be doing a disservice if I didn't give somebody an opportunity to say, Pastor, I need to make room for Jesus. I need to give him my life. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. No one looking around. I didn't plan on doing it this way, but I I feel that nudge today that there could be some people in the room that need to make that decision. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to prolong the moment. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need to make room for Jesus. I need to give him my life. I have sin in my life. I need to be forgiven. I want to make things right with Jesus. If that's you in your in-house, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. Another hand. God bless you. I haven't even looked on this side yet. Come on, raise it up high enough for me to see it. Anyone else? You say, that's me, Pastor. I want to make some things right with God. Another one over here. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for this hand. I see that hand too. Anyone else? Anyone else before we pray? I want us to pray this together. There are at least five hands that went up, maybe more. But I'm so excited about this moment. I want to pray with these individuals that are coming into a relationship with Jesus. Every voice lifted together. Can you say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give them a big God bless you. A big God bless you today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.